if you listen to fools, well, you know what happens, don't you? That's what Dio told us. And this is my voice of heavy metal. So expressive, so powerful. I remember seeing him later on in his career in, in the, on the Master of the Moon tour. And okay, he was singing to a small room, but it seemed as though that voice, that powerful, huge voice, could have reached the back of the room without any amplification at all. And people who say, oh, it was just heavy metal, wasn't it? Well, not really. It was heavy metal of a real um, interesting and emotional basis. But, you know, when you look at the way, okay, within some fairly rigid parameters, Ronnie James Dio moved from 70s rock with Elf into the hard rock of Rainbow into the metal and different kinds of metal with his own band Dio. You know, he did move about and understand music in that way. So it was really nice to have a look at the documentary Man on Silver Mountain, Man on the Silver Mountain. It has some issues, but generally it's a really good view. First of all, I can't find much information about this on the internet. And if other people have got views and want to come back to me to tell me where, who produced it and, um, and, um, and who's involved in the setting up of this documentary, then I'd be delighted to hear. But the first thing is that you know that it's a fan documentary. So the voiceover is always on the verge of shouting. It's really excited. I can't believe I'm doing a documentary about Dio. And at first you think, oh, I can't believe, I don't think I can take an hour of this. But it's very sweet. Eventually, you think, well, he's just really keen on all of this. And he's all in and excited by this. And so should we be. And what you get here is you get... Um, you're going to go through uh, Ronnie James Dio's albums. So we start with him um, joining Rainbow and move right through to his um, sad death uh, in 2010. And although you've got a lot of albums to get through in an hour, so you don't have massive discourses on how the faders were pushed up and down Although you do for live evil, of course, because that was the uh, that was the contention from the from some in the Black Sabbath camp that faders were being pushed up and down. You do get that for that, but you don't generally get this is how I sat down and wrote the, these songs. But the great thing is, there's a lot of footage here from um, Headbangers Ball um, and from the Blaring Out podcast. Quite a lot of that from that actually, in which Ronnie James Dio talks. Sometimes corporately, we've got a great new band here and I'm very excited. And sometimes honestly about this album's overlooked, great album, but there were problems with this album. And that really adds to this documentary. So also little snippets of how they they were working on albums. So when they, they were very interested in the occult during making Rainbow's Long Live Rock and Roll, which was Dio's last album with the band, and they summoned up a demon, the Imbala was a, a, a demon of chaos. And that affected the making of the album. When he started to uh, make 
um, Holy Diver with his own band, they also had a seance and Baal was summoned up again and he said, no, thank you, I don't want that. Talking about uh, heaven and hell, um, with Black Sabbath, of course, he, he joined Black Sabbath when he um, left Rainbow. And talking about heaven and hell and how the whole thing was written over 18 months because they moved about from country to country and tried to catch snippets of time in various places. Mob Rules is glossed over a little. It's my favourite of the two albums with, with Sabbath. But you do get some really nice little flavours, you know. Um, there's a good story, as I said, about the, about the live evil stuff and the, and the falling out there. Um, with Dio definitely saying we didn't touch any of the stuff about mixing. We would never do that. We just wanted to hear the stuff. And as the guys weren't there, as Tony Iommi and Geeta Butler weren't there when we were there, thought we might as well hear what we've got. It talks about Rainbow in the Dark being uh, recorded, we recall as a Budweiser commercial. And we see the commercial. It's great. It really fits very well. He feels that Last in Line is better than Holy Diver. And I agree. He said it's the most fun he's ever had making an album. Everything was in accord. And um, the producer and voiceover, or thought we were voice for this documentary, agrees. We also get to see the Egyptian staging for that, which I had never seen before, because I saw them first on the Sacred Heart tour, although the dragon couldn't come over to the UK. Such a shame that it was impounded in customs. And he talks about... Uh, Viv Campbell not really being so interested on the Sacred Heart album, which I was disappointed, first of all, when I first heard it. I thought, this is too commercial. The keyboards are too highly pushed up. But I understand why, understood why when it came out in the mid-80s, as it did. But he says that he had uh, trouble talking um, Vivian Campbell, Viv Campbell, into playing stuff for that album. We then talk about Dream Evil, and he believes this is a return to form. But... <laughs> He just said that the other three albums were great as well, so it's difficult to, to see what's um, what's real and what's um, a talking up of the albums, but I understand that, they're his albums. He also shows us little snippets of information, such as Craig Goldie being in the band, but not really being accepted by other band members in his view. And Lock Up The Wolves gets quite a lot of work. We do see them in the studio talking, because this is the album that... Rowan Robertson, who was 18 years old, 17 when he first came into the band, 18 by then, a guitar prodigy, and I think this is an overlooked album. We see um, him shredding and recording um, a solo, which is great, and do you feel on this album that they were trying to reinvent themselves? He says, we were trying to live in a time that was five years past, which is nobody's fault but my own, but it's still a good album. Every album he's holding up here when he's... When he's um, being interviewed about those records. It's still a good album. We also get, which is good, because this is... Such an overlooked album. The Return to Sabbath. The Dehumanizer album. And this is one of my favourite Sabbath albums. As I say, really overlooked. Got some fantastic crushing tunes on it. And we get quite a lot about him returning 
in that way. It says that they were delighted to, to get together, really enjoyed making the album, but of course it fell apart because of money in the end. And there's also the uh, discussion about um, him being told, by the way, we're, coming, we're going back on the road and we're opening for Ozzy, and him saying, I'm definitely not doing that. We then move on to the Strange Highways album. And these, you know, as we get into later uh, or sort of mid-period Dio time, um, these albums are a lot more overlooked. Strange Highways is he feels it's the best since Last in Line. I'm not sure about that. And what he doesn't do is comment on what the documentary doesn't do, is comment much on Angry Machines, which is a really unloved Dio album. I think it's got some lovely stuff on it, but it is more of an industrial album and it is more of them trying to chase the zeitgeist and not really getting there. Of course, things were different with Magica. Um, he, um, he said that the, the band needed to change and he was writing very political music at the time, <clears throat> very political lyrics at the time, and fans were saying, can we have a return to the fantasy stuff? So he brought Craig Goldie back in and Tracy G, who'd been playing on Angry Machines, he offered him to play with him as well, but he wouldn't do that. So they parted ways. Then we get Killing the Dragon, which is really a return to form. He talks about what the dragon could be in a very kind of rambling way. And for Master of the Moon, we had some very good live footage. We worked its way through the albums, and that works nicely, because some albums people will have forgotten, I feel sure. So, oh, I don't, I don't remember that album. Really nice to see and also lovely to see his legacy. We have some footage from, it looks like a TV, um, local TV news about his cancer treatment. Um, and we see people's, um, we see how Tenacious D wrote the song about him. People worried about how he would react to that, but he loved it. South Park as well. Love the stuff that they did with him. A, a very gentle, nice, business-like um, man with a real really good sense of humor and a sense of love for people and uh, uh, an enjoying love with his wife Wendy who worked so well with him was his manager of course and then we have people speaking very sweetly about his death including Jeff Pilson and Doro Pesh once of Warlock now on her own heavy metal princess a metal warrior and it's lovely to see there's a real sense of warmth about this man and because we see so much of him all you need to do is point him at the camera and say, have a chat. And that warmth and that intelligence and that feeling for others comes out. It's not a usual kind of documentary because you don't get that many talking heads. You get the man himself in different interviews. But when the man himself is so sweet and so nice, that really works. I'm holding the horns aloft as we speak and anyone watching this documentary will want to do that. It's a four out of five ramble rating. And if you listen to Fools, the mob rules. But if you listen to Dio, you'll have a bloody good time. Ta-ta.